Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Thanks so much for tuning in to Web3 with me. It is our mission here to educate, and we realize that some basics of Web3, like WTF is a digital wallet, might be helpful for you to know. We will be releasing a series of short videos on YouTube and Reels to help cover these high-level topics. We hope they're useful for us, and feel free to leave us feedback. My guest today is Zeneca. He is a Web3 and NFT investor, advisor, content creator, and project founder. He writes a newsletter on NFTs, hosts two podcasts, runs a YouTube channel, and has over 300,000 followers on Twitter. He manages two NFT communities, all with a focus on creating educational content to help people learn more about this wild world of Web3. LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Welcome to the show, Zeneca. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, it's, this all kind of started uh, when I read uh, your 31st newsletter. Uh, and a couple of weeks before that, I had finally found my North Star for the show, which was this idea of this terrible perception that Web3 has and how I think it's really a marketing problem. Um, so when I read the letter, I totally connected with it. Uh, not thinking that I would actually get you to come on the show. So when you <laughs> when you booked, man, I, I really appreciated it. So I usually start these episodes with founding stories. The, the benefit of having someone like yourself that's been around is that a lot of people know your founding story. So feel free to be brief with it. Um, but yeah, just let us know a little bit about uh, how you got to where you are. Yeah, uh, I'll give the, the quick version. So before crypto and NFTs, I was a professional poker player. It's basically all I did. So I did like from high school to that and straight into crypto NFTs, a couple of minor detours. Uh, so I did it for about 17 years. And then getting into crypto, I dabbled in 2017, left in 2018 during that bear market, didn't really make any sort of considerable money then, maybe lost actually. Uh, and then 2021, NFTs were popping off and I had a lot of friends that had sort of been in the space and they were telling me about it. And, you know, originally I was like, it's some sort of scam, some Ponzi scheme, some weird cult thing. Like you have to pay thousands of dollars for a JPEG and you can pay even more thousands of dollars for a rare JPEG. It, it doesn't make sense to most people. And I think that's most people's first reaction. But, you know, after a few weeks, uh, I came around, I did some research of my own, I read some articles and was just sort of red pilled and, and fell down the rabbit hole. And uh, it took a few months to just sort of get my bearings and understand the lingo and the, the the space and definitely lost money in those first few months trying a few things here and there but eventually turned it around and uh yeah ended up flipping trading creating content launching my own projects advising doing a whole bunch of stuff now it's uh, it's been a hell of a journey for 18 months 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, so. When you started the Zeneca Twitter, it was zero, right? And now you're mm-hmm. at over three hundred thousand people. You obviously have numerous businesses that you started. Um, what was the? What were the lessons from being a professional poker player that you feel like transferred most to being successful in NFTs? Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, some of them I think are like intangible and they're a little hard to describe. It's like a mentality and an experience, but I think uh, the ability to sort of manage risk and manage a bankroll and accept the possibility that, you know, something you buy might go to zero or um, to hold something after it's gone double in price because you think it's going to go up more. And it's like, even knowing it could still go to zero. And then uh, like that whole mentality is something you sort of, you get used to a lot in poker. There's the whole risk reward and, and gambling element, uh, coupled with the fact that when things do go to zero and when things don't go well, um, just being able to sort of mentally manage those swings and handle the the emotional um, side of things. Yeah, the, the risk and then the bankroll management and, and something I, I always say is like I, I sum it up by having like a healthy disassociation to money, and it's sort of like you can't be too attached to money because in poker, for instance, if you're if you're too attached, then every time you make a bet, you're like, "Ooh, that is that's a nice dinner, that's a holiday, that's rent, that's you know this, that, and the other," and you just get too attached, and it makes you it makes it difficult to bluff and, and make difficult decisions. Whereas if you don't care enough, then you don't you don't care, and you just start splashing around and, and spew money, and you need to find that right balance. And it's something that I think helped a lot in the NFT space, which I got just through experience doing poker for such a long time. You sort of find that middle ground where you sort of respect money, but you're not like consumed by it. Gotcha. So were you, I guess, I've had previous poker players and successful entrepreneurs on the show uh, and, and the, the common topic that comes up is thinking in bets, uh, by any Duke. Mm. Um, are you familiar with, with that? Um, yeah, kind of the, I mean, yeah. I'm, I've, I'm, yeah, I, 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 I'm not familiar with like the exact, um, version, maybe any Duke's version, but I mean, I can, I can immediately imagine what it means. Uh, I would say basically, yeah, like it's not really a conscious thing where I think like, oh, this is a bet. But for instance, buying into a project, knowing that 90% of the time it's going to go to zero, as long as 10% of the time it goes and does a 20x, then you figure it out. You run that 10 different times, nine times out of 10, you go to zero. One time out of 10, you make a 20x. That is overall profit. It makes up for all the losses and then, then some. And so just continually thinking about things in that way, again, it's this like kind of subconscious, but you're like, okay, I'm going to take, I, I know this is like going to go to zero most of the time, but if it doesn't, it's probably going to pay off for all these other DJ bets. And this was, I think this, this approach worked very well last year during the bull run when it was like this spray and pray type approach. Uh, this year, obviously there's infinity projects and you have to be a bit more selective, but the same kind of thinking kind of applies. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like a, the ability to be able to assign probability to all decisions is is tough. It takes yeah. practice, right? Um, and it takes a, a level of kind of disconnecting yourself from the emotional side of, of things that I don't think many 100%. humans naturally possess. <laughs> it's like, it's definitely something that you could probably train over time, but um, it's tough. It's tough. Um, yeah, 100%. So, so you, you're a professional poker player. 
you you transition into NFTs, um, it doesn't naturally flow that you would start making content and building an audience then. What was kind of the impetus to start making content? And I believe sometimes you've referred to it as trading content. So <laughs> I'm really interested to see if there's a, a connection between the two. Yeah, um, you're right. There's, there's not a natural pathway there. And so I've, I've always liked writing. I've always been a bit of a writer. I love reading growing up. I loved writing a little bit. Um, I used to have a poker blog. I always want, it was like kind of poker slash lifestyle, food, travel. I, I, was, I was always thinking about creating a new blog, but you know, the world does not need yet another travel blog, yet another food blog or anything like that. And so getting into NFTs, uh, I think it was around June last year, I, I, just, I just had the idea again, like uh, maybe I should just start writing about NFTs because I enjoy writing. I learn best if I have to write about a topic, you got to research it and understand it and be able to explain it to someone else. And, uh, yeah, I was just like, let me just try this and see how it goes. So that was like, I think the first piece of content, my Twitter account hadn't really done anything. I had maybe a few hundred followers, maybe a thousand at the time. Um, and then that started going decently well because there weren't many people writing about the NFT space specifically at the time. And somewhere around that same time, I started posting these stats on Twitter, these you know, floor price updates, these, um, because of, I was doing a lot of trading, I was tracking my own projects and the floor prices on them. Um, I, and, and this was at a time when OpenSea didn't show the floor price. None of the, there were no tools or websites to see the floor price. It was just, you had to manually go and do it. And so that's why I tracked it myself. One day I put it out on Twitter and then a lot of people were like, Hey, this is awesome. This is you know really good content. This is saving us time. This is valuable. Thank you. And so I was like, huh, okay, let me do it again and again and again. And uh, so that sort of like started the the newsletter and the Twitter and and all of that, and then it all escalated from there. And you know the the thing was that like it felt awesome. <laughs> it felt really good to do something that was helping other people and felt rewarding and fulfilling in a way that flipping and trading NFTs does not, and certainly being a poker player does not. Like the world does not need poker players. The world does not need people flipping JPEGs. Uh, whether or not the world needs people writing about NFTs is TBD, but it's definitely adding and contributing more to the space and to society uh, than flipping or just being very this PVP uh, make money type thing. So I realized, hey, this is um, something I really like, something uh, I can probably make a living out of and get paid for. This is something that helps others. And uh, yes, I, I seem to be decent at it. So I was like, let me just keep doing this. And I slowly made a transition away from trading as actively. Like I'll still obviously do a little bit of trading here and there, but it's very much passive now. And it's uh, like most of my time is now focused on content or Zen Academy and, and business building and that kind of stuff. So you're basically starting to add new notches, right? Like you've got like the I've, I've, you've got the trading aspect, which is helping uh, facilitate the ability to to do this stuff. You actually have to make money doing something, right? Like mm. <laughs> it's, it's great uh, to take it from someone who started a content company from scratch. Uh, it, it's it's hard um, to to, yeah. to monetize content until you've got some sort of influence out there. Um, and then you start to add a third notch to this, which is that you form a community uh, in Zen Academy. What was the process like uh, when you were, all right, I've, I've kind of made it as an NFT writer. Uh, I'm doing a little less trading. I see a lot of value add here. What, what was the impetus to start an actual community? I was thinking about how, like, how do I, I guess, monetize content? How do I continue to make a living out of being a content creator? And if you look at the 
Web 2 or the quote-unquote traditional models, it's something like a Patreon or you have your newsletter become a paid subscription and you make money off that. You run ads, sponsorships, affiliate links. And those are all great things and they work. But, you know, I was in the Web 3 space and people are launching NFTs and I said, well, maybe there's something I can do to experiment with uh, NFTs in this area. And that's basically the whole idea for Zen Academy and, and where that came from. And I thought about, you know, what what can I do? I realized I'm not a developer. I'm not an artist. I'm not a game designer. I can't do any of these. I'm not a creative writer. I can't do IP building or anything like that. But I'm a content creator. And I think that the majority of my content serves to like educate and inform people one way or the other. And so that's where Zen Academy sort of came from. And I thought, all right, let's build a community around this. Let's sell these NFTs as like membership tokens to this community, this academy, this club, this place, and kind of just see where it leads us. It was very experimental and open-ended to begin with. I didn't have a roadmap. I was just like asking people to take a leap of faith on me and uh, I would figure out how to build it out from here and where we would go. And that's kind of been the last year now. We, We launched just under a year ago. Yeah. Nice, nice. And I guess it, it has produced uh, a few different facets. Uh, as we're recording this episode, not as it's being released, there was a, a major announcement. This is a recording November 1st. Um, what what was kind of the, uh, I guess, explain first, like what, what the big announcement is, and then explain kind of the why behind, um, you know, all of these uh, new opportunities for Zen Academy. Yeah. So up until now, we've sort of, within Zen Academy, there's been two tiers i guess two membership tiers we've got the regular zen academy genesis token holders and that's like basically everyone and then we've got what we call the 333 club and that was designed to be for founders builders people who wanted sort of advice consulting on their project and to be part of a more exclusive community and both have existed in in parallel and both have been doing fairly well and i love the communities and things are going great uh but we've realized a few things the biggest being that within Zen Academy, you have people that are like total beginners and like they don't know what an NFT is and they're just learning all the way to like everyone else. And and so it's, it's difficult to build a community where there is such a wide dispersion or this disparity of um, backgrounds and expertise level and, and everything like that. So that is one thing that we're trying to solve for. And the other is the whole social identity piece, the PFP thing, which is, you know, when I launched a year ago, I said, I don't want to do a PFP project. This space has too many PFP projects. The last thing we need is yet another one. Uh, And I I stand by that decision at the time. It it wouldn't have been right to do it then. However, now over the course of a year, we've had this community for a year and, and we are a community and people are now asking, they would love a Zen Academy PFP. They were like, I would love one to have on Twitter and social media and to represent and to find other community members. And it's great as a community building tool it's great as a marketing tool just to you know get more awareness out there it's fun and you know people enjoy finding new art you know finding traits and there's all sorts of cool things with pfp projects and so with that in mind we thought all right we can probably combine the two and create like this middle tier system so now we've got the 333 club the middle tier and then zen academy and kind of fill kill two birds with one stone, if you will, and and sort of have this new community within the whole ecosystem that is now for the slightly more experienced people, maybe the people that are um, open to a little more risk, open to sort of like maybe the alpha hunters, maybe the DGENs, maybe the developers, uh, smart contract or front end, back end, maybe the artists, collectors, kind of everyone that's in the space for a while. uh, This is for them. 
And for Zen Academy, the, the students, the, the, the educational layer, we are introducing a new NFT there that will basically be free. It'll be unlimited and it will be soul bound. And we want it to be everyone's first NFT. So currently that, you know, people join Zen, if we, people say, hey, how do I get into NFTs? Where do you go? Join Zen Academy. Uh, great. They can sort of view our content on YouTube or read a newsletter, join the Discord, but then it's kind of limited because they don't have the token. They're not really fully part of the community. And then you ask them, well, okay, well, now you've got to pay 0.3 ETH, 0.4 ETH to buy one that doesn't really work well for beginners and definitely not for like mass adoption. So we've come up with a plan to introduce a, a free unlimited soulbound token that is ideally to be to onboard tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and then millions of people into NFTs, into Zen Academy and, and, be this massive base layer community on top of which sits this PFP project community, uh, which we have a name for. We're just not saying publicly until trademarks and all that is done. Um, and then the three through three club is like the most exclusive at the top. So that is like the the gist of the, the announcements and, and stuff that we have planned um, as well as, you know, sharing more about like the business structure and how we're going to sustain ourselves. You know, there's been a lot of talk about royalties and, you know, revenue streams for businesses and projects and, and all that kind of stuff. And we've sort of broken that down and, and looked, you know, ahead six months, 12 months, two years, five years. And, and we're looking at content being a large part of how we generate revenue. We're looking at consulting, going B2B. Uh, incubator programs and i mean i think there are a lot of avenues avenues for generating revenue uh which largely all stem from having a a big community and, and a large uh audience and i think that you know we've got that now now it's about building up so we've laid the foundation and now we're building up that's pretty cool so you've, yeah it's like i could imagine each of these is like a pillar that you're laying in the ground right and now you're just going to mm -hmm. start building layers it, it leads itself to a really fun thought experiment so uh you're thinking years in the future right let's let's mm -hmm. say you've got a million people in in the discord in some form or fashion regardless of of which um you know part of the zeneca ecosystem mm -hmm. they are in and they kind of they're they're in there and you've got this community you've got these great philosophies around it, the community where what what does that community mean to you right like what does it mean to to Zeneca personally to have a million people <laughs> there's a lot of freaking people inside of of, of of discord and and maybe a better solution if that ever comes out uh <laughs> but like what does that mean to you to to be able to have all those eyeballs in one place what does that community look like? Is it just uh, a third, a third, a third, a split into what you have now? Uh, just hypothesize with me for a little while. Yeah, no, this is a great thought experiment. I don't imagine it's a third, a third, a third. I think like the, the thing about the top two tiers is they're always going to be smaller. And there's just like, there's things you can do with a community of 333 that you can't do with a community of 10,000 or... Yeah, and the things you can do with the community of 10,000 that you can't do with the community of a million. So I think we're going to continue to have like pretty substantial differentiations in size between the, the three tiers. Uh, we'll probably always have three tiers. Maybe there's a fourth, but uh, let's assume we stick with the three. The, the biggest thing in terms of what it looks like for me is, uh, and this is sort of the goal for the PFP, but just the goal for the community and academy as a whole is that I would love, and I think that this is how it is now, and, and I hope that we're there at a million, where any two people that are part of the community, even if they've never spoken before, can just like, let's say they they meet in a, in a chat room, they meet in the metaverse, they meet in real life at a coffee shop. 
by being part of this community and knowing that they've found their way to this place and, and decided to spend time there and join and whatever that means, then they have similar values and ethos and they could have a conversation and like they would get along well, they would be able to have fun and just like that's what community is, right? That That's a, a, a collection of people that share similar values or share a, you know, geographical location or like a virtual location, but generally geographically is based on, you know, um, some things outside of your control but when it comes to virtual it's like you get to choose where you want to hang out so you usually choose the places that align with your your values and interests and and all of that kind of stuff so yeah whether it's a million a thousand ten thousand a billion a billion that would be something uh, <laughs> however many people it is is uh yeah just the the ability for them to just get along well and i think with a million there would be all these little subcultures and micro communities i'm sure there would be a, a community of gamers a community of people that are like golf enthusiasts and or just sport enthusiasts and you know they would have fun and and have events and get togethers and and we would find ways to sort of empower them and and just do things that are on a global scale we're all together and on smaller scales and i mean it would be really fun honestly obviously daunting to manage that large of a community but i think the goal is for it to be um built in a way that it like you know largely manages itself or we have we empower the right community leaders and managers and yeah, this actually gets into an even larger thing. I've been reading, um, or I just started reading, the Network State by Biology, which is like the idea of building this digital nation. And you know, who knows? Ten, twenty years from now, maybe that's a possibility as well. Yeah, the the Network State, and <laughs> I'm in the middle of the seven and a half interview with Lex <laughs> and and Balaji. Oh, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It it's amazing, man. He's he's like a human computer. Uh, just yeah. the, the facts that he spits out, but I'll, you know. There's a lot of uh, parallels between the way that you are talking about the success story for Zen Academy uh, and what I've experienced in the PAC community. Um, there is a uh, there is an ethos. There are values. There are just a certain ideal that has brought together a lot of people under like the PAC umbrella. Um, and you know, we've expressed that through, uh, FOMAverse. Uh, we just had like a, a drop not too long ago and I've never been involved in a drop before. I mean, I, I bought obviously, but like I've never mm. actually created one, but when we were going on FOMAverse radio to talk about it, it was a lot of what you just said. It was the ability for a random group of people without geographic boundaries who met over typing right? Like typing takes away tone. Mm -hmm. It takes away all of these aware or unaware biases that people have. Right. Mm -hmm. And then once they meet on there, if it moves to video or it moves to in-person, it's like an, the, the connection is so much stronger than it would have been had you not have met that way. Right. And then to the end mm -hmm. goal, 100%. These people are also the mindset is they want to create that they want to create a digital society, a network state uh, where people can go that are aligned. We're obviously aligned and, and spend time there. It's just it's honestly like a really cool concept that a lot of people are working towards. Yeah, I'm excited to see just the future. The next several years, 10 years, 20 years is going to be unprecedented i think which is really crazy considering the last 30 40 50 years have been insane but i think with blockchain technology and ai i think the world is about to be upended 
beyond i think i i think almost everyone is underestimating the disruption that is going to happen over the next decade i couldn't agree more you know one of the parts of uh network state that balaji talks about is that you have a single unifying rule that you start with have you thought about that at all for zen academy i mean i have but i haven't come up with a great one but i like to help people is what i keep coming back to and it's very vague. It's not specific enough. And I need to workshop it. And that we have other ideas. And, and like, you know, Simon Sinek talks about having a just cause. And, you know, you need to have your why. And, and you have a mission statement. There's all sorts of things that you have. And so we've got, you know, I've got lists. And, and I've got a bunch of stuff figured out. And we we don't have a single unifying rule yet. But uh, it is something great to work towards. Would you consider that your why? Uh, I would I would consider my why at this point, like if people ask me, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing Zen Academy? I could have like, I could probably sell all my NFTs and retire and just read and, and have a garden and stuff, which sounds fairly appealing sometimes. But uh, I think my, my why is because I and we as Zen Academy, we're in a unique position to help a lot of people and bring together this global community and achieve higher goals or just achieve things that we could do together that we wouldn't be able to do individually. And I've just, yeah, just somehow for better or worse found myself in this position where I, 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 I see this opportunity, this ability to sort of do good in the world. And that would be my why. Yeah, it makes sense. And one of the things that I went in researching for the show and listening to you speak is you, you maintain humility really well and it doesn't you know it doesn't seem forced it doesn't seem any of that so it's like you know if, if you're able to build this kind of following and have this kind of success and maintain that humility i feel like that's just something rare um not a lot of people have that a lot of times it goes to their head i mean people have egos right <laughs> it's hard we all do i appreciate <laughs> that but yeah yeah it's interesting um well i want to switch gears a little bit and start talking about this perception issue right? Uh, you've, mm -hmm. you've identified, you know, the three pillars uh, that p we need to attack to get to the mainstream, right? For people to accept Web3 for what we already know it is, right? Um, mm -hmm. Can we go a little bit into that? Can you explain to the audience, you know, how you see this playing out and how you'd like to, to help it? Yeah, so I, I wrote about this in Letter 31, which we were discussing. I can't remember if it was off, on air or off air, but like just before we started, I think. Uh, and it is basically in terms of sort of how do we onboard millions, billions of people? How do we get from where we are now, a relatively niche part of the world? You know, there's growing awareness of crypto in general, but it's still not got what anyone would consider mainstream adoption, I think. Uh, how do we get from there or from here to sort of where everyone is interacting with blockchain technology and using it in their day-to-day -day lives, similarly to how someone might be able to use an iPad and interact with like mobile technology, cloud computing, the internet, all of these things. Uh, and I think there's three main ways we get there. First is education, and that is something that is going to happen in parallel to, these all happen in parallel to each other. These are not like ABC, it's not a step. It's like just three think pillars, as you said, to work on. Education is important in every area in life. And when it comes to new technology, we need to educate people on how to use the technology, how to use it safely, 
Uh, we need to improve educating ourselves and learning about how best to use it. And this is something that is going to continue for many, many, many years. Eventually, it will become extraordinarily niche and only at the cutting edge areas of the technology. For instance, today, no one needs to, very few people need to be educated on how to use the internet or how to use email. Uh, and if they do, it's it's very easy to get them to set up an email account and use it. Whereas way back in the day, it was a lot more complicated and tricky and, and unsafe. Uh, so this comes to sort of the second pillar, which is infrastructure. And today it's very difficult to set up a, uh, a MetaMask wallet or even a hardware wallet. And it's difficult to comprehend and understand what you're doing when you're interacting with the blockchain. There's, there's transactions with long strings of letters and numbers. It's confusing. If you, if you send it to the wrong address, it's permanent. You lose all your money. You click on the wrong link. You, your wallet can get drained. There's a lot of scams and dangers. It's very unforgiving. It's very confusing and convoluted. So we need better infrastructure to basically abstract away the technology and make it really seamless and easy to interact, interact with. Uh, again, similar to, similar to how it happened with the internet and email, if you go back, um, I was born in the late 80s, started interacting with the internet in the early 90s. Uh, it was, you know, you had to use a modem to connect. You couldn't be on the phone at the same time. You had to, sometimes if there was a problem, troubleshooting was very difficult. There was, it was very complicated, um, you know, setting up an email account like there wasn't really good search engines it was it was you had to know someone that told you go to this website it, it was all complicated and difficult but now it's very very easy <laughs> ask Jeeves, alta vista <laughs> um all the good old ones uh yeah uh so education and infrastructure are two things and they're both happening right now education is improving every single day lots of people are working on lots of incredible resources infrastructure is improving every single day lots of people are working on better wallets easier wallets different safety guards and safety nets to make it less likely for people to scam and and to have guardrails and all that kind of stuff and the ui ux is is improving leaps and bounds it's still terrible but it's you know it used to be way worse the last thing is i think a mentality shift and that is the sort of realization that the people that have found their way to Web3 up until now are largely, I mean, they're the early adopters, they're the the pioneers and, and the innovators. And it, it largely consists of people who are tech-minded and or finance-minded. Um, prior to NFTs, NFTs brought a lot more mainstream adoption. But still, most of the people here are have some interest in the technology or the finance side of it to make money and, and trade. And the reality is that most of the world doesn't have anywhere near of as large of an interest in these things as we do. And I think for the better part of 2021 and, and a good chunk of 2022, and, and certainly still today, but to a lesser extent, uh, people in the space tend to market the space to those outside the space about, hey, you can you can make so much money, you can get rich quick. There's play to earn games, there's learn to earn, there's walk to earn, there's everything to earn, which sounds good to some people and certainly the people that are in the space. But the reality is there's a lot of people out there that don't want to financialize and commercialize every aspect of their lives. And, and it's certainly a danger. And so uh, I think we need to shift the mentality instead of like trying to lure people in or convince them or do anything like that by talking about how much money you can make. Um, people don't often talk about how much money you can lose. Um, it's just kind of take the, the money out of the equation and think about maybe the real world use cases of how this technology can just make our life easier, maybe more seamless, maybe faster transactions. Um, and, and maybe there's money in a way where there's no downside, there's no risk. So we take the speculation and the 
you know, the, the financial, um, the gambling out of it from like coins and tokens and things like that. And you think about, well, maybe you can save you money by eliminating the fees for middlemen and, you know, things like Ticketmaster is a great example. Everyone hates how when you buy tickets to an event, you pay nineteen ninety five Ticketmaster fee and then seven ninety five website fee and then four ninety five, you know, because we're called Ticketmaster fee. It's like there's fees on top of fees on top of fees and all these terms and conditions and it's it's very not good for the end consumer. It's not even good for the the event provider because then they get a lot of their customers are unhappy because there's all scalpers and anyway. Uh, blockchain technology can solve and improve that process and it's hard to imagine people being unhappy about it but we need to get to a point where it's easy it's seamless the infrastructure is there uh, another great example is escrow for houses if you're trying to buy a house and you put money in escrow you often have to sp- spend a few thousand dollars just to ensure that this money is is safe for both parties maybe five figures if it's a large transaction uh, that can be solved by a smart contract, but it has to get to a point where people trust smart contracts. And again, if you go back to the early days of the internet, people did not trust putting their credit card on the internet because they didn't understand it. They didn't, and there were a lot of scams. It's it's very it's, this, the parallels keep piling up, but we'll get to a point where people trust smart contracts just the way people trust putting their credit card on the internet, and it's going to save people money. And yeah, it's just a mentality shift and we've got to think about the real world use cases and eliminate all the speculation or a lot of the speculation. And yeah, education, infrastructure and mentality shift and real world use cases is is the three to four pillars. So yeah, so then I guess uh, two question, two part question. One, how how is Zen Academy participating and helping in each of those pillars? And then what brands do you look at that you feel like are emulating should be examples for other web three companies and brands um, that are really able to tackle either one or, or multiple pillars. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're focused on education obviously, and the mentality shift. We are not in the business of building infrastructure yet. Maybe in the future, that's something that we do look to work on. But again, I'm not a developer. I'm not an engineer. I don't have that experience. It would have to be finding other team members, people in the community, and then empowering them. Certainly something we can look at in the future, but education is content. Mentality shift is content and thinking, like just changing the way you think about things. And that's something that I think we're already doing and we intend to keep doing. And uh, again, working alongside everyone else doing the same, everyone building infrastructure. And that's what we're doing on that front and in terms of examples of companies or projects that have done it well i think the best example is reddit and and you know they're fairly recent in the last few months really in the last couple of weeks they blew up they effectively introduced blockchain technology and nfts to tens of thousands of people um i think three million wallets but i don't know how many are actually active but certainly tens of thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of actual real humans just interacting with these reddit nft avatars they call them digital collectibles or digital avatars they abstracted away the technology they made it easy to buy with a credit card you didn't have to use a a crazy wallet um they also introduced a a, i think it was like nfts 101 or like a really a really good introductory guide so they helped on the infrastructure helped on the education they helped on the infrastructure and they they flipped the mentality they didn't talk about you know buy this because it might make you 10x it was just hey buy this to have a cool avatar on our website that you already use or it was just hey we're going to airdrop you this because we're going to give you this because we're going to reward you and they gave that a lot of them to, to people for free so i think reddit is the prime example uh, i'm going to be looking to see how starbucks does their 
uh, NFT system, the, the, the Odyssey program, which is going to be basically their loyalty rewards integrating with NFTs on Polygon because uh, Reddit, you know, two to three million wallets. Uh, uh, Starbucks has 25 to 35 million um, loyalty rewards members. So it's, it's massive if they can pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and worldwide, both of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it 100%. is interesting that the, the Reddit point, I mean, I've been fascinated by that. I think they did it the right way. I agree with you. The other thing that's interesting about them is that uh, PFPs are inherently kind of part of how you already participate with Reddit, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're yeah. in there, you're making your comments, you have already have like probably a pseudonym, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. you've got a picture, right? <laughs> and so as part of blurring the lines between identity and brand, right? You start to see people adopting these, these uh, Reddit NFTs. I think what some of the, like, I guess, let me ask you, what do you think the second order effects are of a mass adoption in a short amount of time like Reddit? I think the majority of people will just like shrug their shoulders and, and not really look too deep into it. But I think a few percent will be like, oh, this is interesting. What is this new thing? I'm going to look into it a little bit more. And, you know, if you talk a few percent of a hundred thousand or a few hundred thousand or a few million people, it, that really starts to add up, especially because the size of our space is still really, really small. Like I'd be surprised if there's a hundred thousand people actively participating in the, the NFT space. Uh, Web3 and blockchain and crypto is obviously much larger. A lot a lot more people have like some exposure to Bitcoin, ETH and, and so on. But when it comes to NFTs specifically, uh, it's still very small. And so if you can get 10,000, 20,000 people interested in it, looking for some more resources and like, hey, what does it mean to own a digital asset? I'm curious. I I like this avatar and you know, maybe it's because they made money. Maybe it's because they like they liked the feeling of ownership of having ownership over a digital item that they they owned fully. It's just that's I think the next next layer, the next level. It's some percentage of those people will show curiosity, and then it's about uh, having a good process for them to learn more, to to sink their teeth into, to do a deeper dive and and understand the much larger world. Because Reddit is NFT a digital avatars digital collectibles it's not nfts nfts are much larger nfts are so many more things so it's about how do we get from all right so now you have some comprehension of digital items that you you own on a blockchain uh how do we go from there to like all right this is this is what really nfts are yeah yeah it's it's I, I, I keep thinking of this term identity and ownership and, and how that's going to change the mentality. How do you think about the relationship of uh, the identity role along with the ownership role, like writ large for Web3? Yeah, I think they're, they're tied very closely together. I think people identify more with things that they have a level of ownership over. That's just, I think, a fact of life. It's, you know... If I walk down the street and someone's car is dirty, I'm probably not going to go wash it. If I am at home and my car or my partner's car is dirty, then maybe if I have an hour or two, it's like, all right, I'm going to wash that because it's mine, it's ours, it's something that we want to take ownership over. Over, And I think it's it's similar to sort of, um, I mean, that's the ownership layer. When it comes to identity, it's, it's, it's very closely related, I think, because you just, you have a closer connection to things that you own. So, you know, on the internet for many, many years, people have had, avatars profile pictures and they've identified with them 
Uh, but n- once you can own that identity and have like some level of ownership over it, it just becomes that more real. You, you want to sort of protect a little bit more. You, you place a little more value in it. You identify with it a little more strongly. Uh, and yeah, I think it, they go hand in hand and they enhance one another. Yeah. I, I, just to play on your analogy, it's like, if you have a few hours, you go wash the car because you own it, but you also may wash the car because you want to be identified as a person who keeps their car clean. Mm-hmm. Right. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. It yeah. also adds a layer of intent. Um, it's interesting. Like there, if you do own something, right. You have ex- like taken the, the forward, like, like kind of like the, the, I guess like the intentional movement in your brain or with your clicks or with washing the car with physical movement, right. Of like going and doing the thing, right. As opposed to going into a game, seeing the preset avatars and just clicking one. That's like, Oh, that one's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, how does that, how does that change? Uh, I mean, it's just like, yeah, your life becomes a lot more intentional, I guess. It does. And I think that, that's one of the reasons it's gonna. It is taking such a long time to shift into this Web three world because when you add ownership to a lot of a lot more things, it requires a deeper level of intentionality and understanding and commitment and security and safety and all of that. And it's really just this massive mentality shift where uh, I don't think like the world is going to be fully living in blockchain on blockchains and and understanding of like self-custodied wallets i think we're going to live in like this web 2.5 world for a very long time uh but i think we will get to a point where everything is is web 3ified and self-custodied but it might require a generation or two where kids start learning about this stuff in school and it just it requires this broader mentality shift i think for something so monumental to occur because you know for a very very long time as humans we've existed with all of these safety nets and guardrails and uh you know you lose your credit card you can call the bank and cancel it and, and you know get some refunds you have insurance and all this kind of stuff and it we will need to come up with web3 versions of that but also change the mentality of like all right if you if you want to have full ownership of your assets if you want to uh, participate and and be in this new world with all this tremendous upside by eliminating you know m- middle people and 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 cutting down on transaction costs and stuff. There are some trade-offs. You have to take a greater responsibility for your assets and your actions. And yeah, most people are just not ready for that. And it's, it's going to take, I think, a generation or two. Yeah, it will, it'll, it will take time for people to do that. I think one of, the, one of the things that I think about a lot is there is a level of autonomy in what we're doing right now and not everybody's going to want it, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's just, there, there needs to be, an option, a web 2.5, whatever you want to call it, where you can still play and you can participate, but maybe you like, I think one of the most eloquent ways I've heard is abstract away the technology up front, mm-hmm. but allow people to peel back the layers as they participate more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. how long it takes. People I love that. To, yeah. Peel back those layers. It was actually from Roham, uh, the founder of uh, flow blockchain, which kind of leads me oh, into yeah. The next question, how do you think about uh, layer ones? Do you think about that in the context of going mainstream uh, and, and hitting maybe on your, your uh, pillars for, uh, for doing that? Yeah, I, I don't put like a tremendous amount of thought into it. I believe we'll live in a multi-chain future. I don't think there's going to be just one layer one. Um, I'm most bullish on Ethereum. I think it 
it has a lot going for it. It has a lot being built on it. It has a lot of scaling potential. And the decentralization aspect is is really important to a lot of people. And, and in terms of like very long-term Web3, it just makes the most sense for me. But, it, you know, there's trade-offs, there's, there's transaction speeds, there's transaction costs, at least in the short term. Um, there's, you know, room and space for many multiple layer ones, at least. And I think we will have multiple layer ones and we'll have them for various reasons, whether it is faster speeds, faster transaction speeds, um, lower costs or safety nets, guardrails, like on better onboarding processes than, than, you know, maybe you have blockchains that are walled gardens, but you can buy and sell with a credit card and you don't need to set up a whole wallet and, and it's only partially custodied and all that kind of stuff. So I think, uh, yeah, multi-chain future almost for sure. Uh, I don't know what they'll be, but uh, and and I do suspect ETH will be the most popular smart contract blockchain. Uh, but who knows? You know, who knows? Ten years from now, twenty years from now. Yeah. Do you, building on that, do you think about interoperability between blockchains at all? And you know, is is it? I mean, in some sense, you could say it's antithetical to the to the to kind of philosophies behind blockchain. But uh, what's your opinion on on interoperability? Yeah, I I'm, haven't thought too much about it. I'm not an expert on this side of the space. Um, I, I do think like bridging assets from one chain to another and like that seems great to me and we're seeing that and I think we're going to see more of that. Obviously, bridges have risks. Uh, I've been hearing about layer zero, which seems like a pretty interesting protocol that allows you know exactly that and curious to see where that plays out. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm basically when it comes to this stuff, I, I just trust that people way smarter than me are going to figure out awesome solutions and it will just be a better future uh, in in a few years' time. Like, I, I just have that faith and, yeah. What what kind of, uh, I guess, if, if you're talking to founders out there that are looking to build uh, Web3 products or services, what kind of advice would you have for them so that they can, you know, build a successful company if let's assume they want to build it for the mainstream um what, what general advice would you have yeah i think i mean for starters a lot of the same advice for web 2 startups and the real the traditional world startups obviously are going to apply to web 3 uh, i don't come from that world but i'm learning quickly a lot of them <laughs> um <laughs> product market fit is a big one having a good why why are you doing what you're doing um find one thing to do and do it really, really well rather than try to do 10 things at once. Uh, all of these things basically. But I think it comes down to like have a good reason for doing what you're doing. Uh, product market fit is monumentally important. Like you can have an awesome product that is going to work really, really well, but you might be three years too early. And so maybe now is not the time to launch it because the space isn't ready or, or you're a couple of years too late because it's been done. And I think just understanding the state of the market, who your customers might be, whether it's you're selling a product, you're providing a service, you're creating content and monetizing in other ways, uh, all of that is just really important to have clarity in your, your vision, your purpose, your business plan, your why, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it's really not that different to Web2. Have you thought about the role of uh, data? in growing Zen Academy. Um, there's treasure troves of, of conversion data on the on chain. Uh, then there's also 
the incentive alignment of community members to shout <laughs> in support of your uh, brand, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think about data there? Yeah, we, we don't think too deeply about data. We, we don't try to capture a ton of data on our users uh, yet in terms of like, I know there's infinite on-chain data and we haven't really looked into it too much yet. Uh, part of that actually is because up until now, we've been using ERC-1155s, but that will be changing soon and you can just track a lot more with 721 as a standard. Uh, I think data as a whole, sort of like setting Zen Academy to a side in the space has just been largely untapped and we're just going to see an enormous explosion in the next few years of like ways that on-chain wallet data is used for all sorts of other purposes. Like, you know, people go to OpenSea and everyone sees the same homepage. Why don't we see homepages that are tailored to like our wallets or our purchasing history and things like that? Um, so definitely a lot of room there and we're definitely going to, I think once there's just better tools and easier tools to explore the data, currently now you need like, th- there's some niche places you can find certain holder data. You can see what other collections they're holding and stuff like that. But it's it's hard to really custom query the data without having a really good dev. And even then, it's it's not all that easy. So uh, I'm sure that will come in the next few years. And we'll definitely be looking into it because it's always good to know your, your holders, your community, and, and how you can better serve them and, and put feedback um, forms out there and, and all that. When it comes to like traditional data, uh, basically the only thing we really take now is email addresses. And that's something that I think is, I mean, it's not of NFT holders yet. I think it's a missed opportunity for most projects to capture some sort of email address. And I think we're probably going to begin that soon. Um, and I think more projects will do it. It's just, you know, people shirk at giving an email address in Web3 because it's meant to be anonymous and decentralized. But I mean, you can have a, an you can give a anonymous email address. You can spin up a new one. You don't have to. Like email is is an anonymous enough protocol that uh, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think that it shouldn't be tied to a wallet address. Um, so yeah, we, we collect emails the right through newsletters and and other things, and we're probably going to collect like it would be great to send out an email to everyone that holds one of our nfts and be like instead of a discord announcement or a twitter post which a lot of people missed important announcements send directly to email so uh i think in the next honestly the next one month we will work to capture all the email addresses of our holders through um a new mechanism a new mint thing that yeah i'm excited for that's awesome yeah i think just the role of listening to the customer has not become as important and maybe customer is not the best word, but the person you're the community member, community that member. Yeah. yeah. That's that you're interacting with is just, it's there. It's all there. You can sit there and you can, you can empathize with people. You can build a, a true profile for all your different members. And I think the other side of it is, is that you, you hit on it a little bit with the custom content, but it's the custom interaction with people, right. Based on, mm not just what you think they might be interested in, which I think is kind of like top of funnel content kind of marketing. Like you read a paper, you open this, you attended a webinar, but the intent data down, like when you have to make a decision and you have to show intent, what does that say about you? Mm. Right? Like you're able to build, I think to me, I think the, the idealistic point of view here is that you can build a truer profile of someone based off that data than you would be if they opened the Zeneca newsletter, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. know if they even read 100%. the whole thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, there's yeah. so much. There's so much more information out there that, yeah, I, it's it's going to be an exciting 
interesting few years, decades. It's just like the future is awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't either, man. I talked to, I had a conversation today with a, a guy who's just a tech founder and he's like, what's the deal with this web three stuff? You know? And like when you start to, <laughs> when you start to talk to people like that, and they're like, oh, man, I could add the aspect right here. Mm. I could increase engagement here. Like it, people are uh, like we've got I think we're starting to get past the point where everybody is always skeptical. There's still a lot of skepticism, mm -hmm. but we're getting to the point where uh, where true business leaders are starting to take it a little bit more seriously. And it's because we get yeah. institutional buy in. We get the Reddits of the world, the Starbucks of the world. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see a lot of like bank buy in uh, on the other side, which we have not really talked yeah. about it. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Well, we're we're nearing the top of the hour. Um, I really really appreciate you coming on. I've got two traditional closing questions uh, yeah. that I ask. Uh, the first one is, how do you describe Web three? Read, write, own is the simplest way of doing it. Web one is read. Web two is read, write. Web three is read, write, own. And what if I asked you for a deeper answer? A deeper answer, I'd say Web3 is uh, a model, a, a, a way of communicating and interacting in the world that allows for new models that are not possible without blockchain technology that will increase transparency, reduce friction. Uh, yeah, just like it, it will just it has a potential and possibility to improve every aspect of our lives. Uh, it also has dangers, but I think uh, the technology is sufficiently incredible that uh, it is just a matter of time before it is woven into basically every element of our lives and hopefully for the better. That leads perfectly into my final question, which is where do you see yourself in Web3 in the next six to 12 months? And then where do you see yourself in Web3 in the next five to 10 years? And feel free to be as audacious as you want. I've had people talk about melting <laughs> faces as part of a live performance piece for people. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Six to 12 months, I think it would honestly be not too crazy different to where I am right now. I think I would hope that the community size is a little larger and uh, I, I would just want to be, I would want to have continued doing what we're currently doing, which is building a really strong community and exploring some initiatives with the community alongside us to build in Web3 and deliver interesting products, good products, good services, uh, good experiences, whether it's, you know, in real life events, whether it's uh, conferences, whether it's um, workshops, whether it's uh, creating an incubator to sort of find interesting ideas and support them through financial means or other means. Uh, and just, yeah, just continuing to sort of build alongside the Awesome Zen Academy community. In five to 10 years, I would love for it to be way 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 larger than me so right now i am sort of very pivotal and at the center of it all and i mean that makes sense i started it a year ago and, and i'm still there all the time ceo operating like doing everything uh i think in five to ten years i would love for i, I mean obviously i still want to be here i still want to be involved i still want to be sort of running and, and directing the ship but i want there to be it to be sort of autonomous and, and seamless without me and, and for things to operate extremely smoothly 
even if I would just like to vanish off the face of the earth for a month and come back, I'd love for Zen Academy to just like still be going great. Whereas right now, if that happened, I think it would kind of be a bit of a, a yeah, a bit of a mess because we don't have the full infrastructure. I mean, I think it would be fine. I think it would be great. It would just be like a lot of the things we have planned would probably be on pause and, and on hold. And uh, in five to 10 years, I would just love for Zen Academy to be just this global community movement regardless of the size, whether it's 10,000, 50,000 then, or whether it's a million, uh, I want it just to be this community of good people helping each other and, and sort of conducting itself autonomously. So you want to have kind of a self-sustaining organism, if you will. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and one final question, just to build on that, if what, what is the role, if any, that you see in bridging this Zen Academy community or your community to the real world? I think I think it's 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 fairly seamless and I I don't think we need to play a very active role in bridging our community to the real world. I think all of our community members exist obviously in the real world and I think that as time goes on and as our lives go on and as web3 as a whole sort of becomes more incorporated into our day-to-day li- day-to-day lives then academy will just automatically seamlessly be in both the real world and and the virtual world and so i mean like we will do initiatives like meetups in the real world and events and retreats and things like that uh but it will not necessarily be with the pure intention of like bridging web 3 to the real world it'll just be because it is an additional way for the community to sort of congregate and have experiences uh yeah so just to kind of sum that up, you you think that if you build the community with the right values, that it, the, it will logically kind of do it itself, right? Like you're kind of delegating. Yeah, it, to the it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if we're in Web three or Web two. I think the the right values. I mean, like one of the, like the, there are a few things that people have in common with Zen Academy. One of them, obviously, right now is there's some interest in Web three, and so already everyone in the community is probably out there to some extent talking about web three or maybe their friends will come to them with a question and if not now maybe in a year or two and so i think that will just almost by osmosis help sort of bring zen academy and web three and nfts into the the web two real world quote unquote real world i really really appreciate this Zeneca. this was this was huge man um it means a lot it's really cool to hear the thinking behind what you're doing and i'm a big supporter of yours i'll be around maybe one of these days i'll join zen academy we'll see um, but just keep doing what that you're doing, be awesome. man. <laughs> appreciate, I appreciate it. I think, uh, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Awesome questions, like very insightful and thoughtful and, uh, different, which is always really good. Uh, yeah, really good to think about the future and, and things on a much larger scale than, than usual. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to web three with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore.